The grass withers and the flowers fade, but you guys know that verse. I always want to start Isaiah 40, verse 8, remembering what a privilege it is to share God's word with you. In a world full of a lot of things that aren't right, aren't good, and are temporary, God's word is what is true, right, and endures. And so it's a privilege to read it and to share it with you today. And so I just want you guys to, before I share the word, just check your hearts. We all are coming before God's word, and me included, with reverence and asking God, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me, and how can I apply it in my life? And who can I share it with? Before I get into my message, I just want to share a little bit myself um, and our church, the Arabic Church of Sacramento. If you go and put the first slide up, show a, uh, a picture of mi familia, my family. This is my wife, Beth. My son Gabriel just turned two, uh, two days ago, and then our daughter Josie. Um, unfortunately, couldn't make it with me today, but they're very important to me. God has done amazing, uh, I'd say, work in my life in bringing me my wife. We've been married for three years and two uh, precious little ones. So I just wanted, had to show you a picture of them um, and our church. So I'm a member and on staff with the Arabic Church of Sacramento. We are the only Arabic-speaking Protestant church in Sacramento, um, and we have a community of, I don't know the last count, at least seven or eight different countries in our church. This is from our family camp we just went to out at Alliance Redwoods um, just a few weekends ago, and our church is, in addition to meeting on Sundays and sharing the Word of God in the Arabic language and worshiping in the Arabic language, um, we are dedicated to reaching our community um, many refugees, many Muslims, many Arabic speakers have come to Sacramento, and we believe it's for a purpose, and that God has placed us there strategically. This church started in 1998, long before I was a part of it, and, um, and has been reaching, it was a small Arabic community at the time that has grown, and the needs are many. So if you go to the next slide, um, and in addition to being on staff, I work with the youth. This was from the camp a few weeks ago. Um, uh, youth of the church where I teach in English and we uh, are able, I'm able to share God's word with them and get them involved with the outreach and the work that we do. Go ahead to the next slide. This Pastor Ra'ed Awabde. Who here has met Pastor Ra'ed or Menar? I think maybe a few of you have. Yeah, a few hands gone up. So Pastor Ra'ed and his wife Menar started this ministry uh, over 20 plus years ago. I joined about five years ago. Um, in short, I'm not here to share all my story with you, but God called me. I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Who here knows someone who went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo? A lot more. Yeah, just west over to the coast. Um, I moved to the L.A. area. was working um, in a bottling company, working in manufacturing with engineering. And about five years ago, God called me out of that. Not that there was anything wrong with being an engineer. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, but started to grow... Um, how can I say, just not content. And God really, I could tell, had a calling on my life to reach out. And I, I had been walking with the Lord for many years, um, but I just knew he was calling me to something more. I aspired to serve him in full-time ministry, to reach those that didn't have easy gospel access. And I thought I was gonna go be a missionary in another country. And God had an amazing plan by placing me back in my hometown of Sacramento, where I did not expect to end up, reaching out to many people who have had very limited or no gospel access throughout their lives. So Pastor Adam Menar, I'm grateful for their leadership. Um, and if you're ever in Sacramento, we invite you to visit us. And I'll talk more about that later. <laughs> uh, go ahead to the next one. Uh, so I serve on staff with the youth. Oh, yeah, that's you. 
Maybe some of you guys are in this picture. You guys have already come several times as a church to come and serve with us, and we've really enjoyed um, the relationship that we've been able to have. I don't even know how many years it's been now, at least since I think I was there, about five years, um, between your church here. So I'm just really grateful. We are really grateful, and part of why I'm here is just to thank you for your support. I don't have to say, hey guys, get involved, because you already are involved in so many ways, giving, coming, encouraging, um, and so I just want to thank you, and this is you guys, I think a few years back when you guys came to help uh, for one of our work days and outreaches. Um, so go ahead to the next slide. One of the ways that God has used me, so I do the youth pastoring. Also, this is a picture of one of our Christmas outreaches a few years ago. The Middle East has arrived to Sacramento, and our church is dedicated through the Arab American Learning Center to build a bridge with the refugee community to deliver the gospel message to them by loving our neighbor as ourself. That is our statement, our purpose, why we exist. And I help manage our refugee support services ministry through the week we are open in our office. People come that need help with all the great confusing things we have here. Online password resets, 800 numbers, talking to robots, trying to get them to get you through to a live person finally. <laughs> Filling out these forms that have questions. You're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to put here. We all can relate how much harder when you come from another country, when you don't speak much English, and if you miss that one thing in the mail, you might lose your benefits, your citizenship, your one thing. But no, no, that's spam. They're not giving you $30,000. Just, they just want you to sign up for their credit card. You know, distinguishing those things can be confusing. And so we just offer in very simple ways, serving our community. And through that, we invite people to our outreaches. We get chances to pray and share all the time um, with our Muslim neighbors. And so that is another role that I have and that our church has in reaching our community. And lastly, my third kind of hat that I wear there is that we have this campus. I have friends that bought a house recently in the Sacramento area, and their mortgage is about the same as what our mortgage is on this whole campus. That's almost three or four acres. It's, it's a miracle how we even have this campus. And on the right is where our church meets on Sundays, and the center is where our community center is. And on the left, we have the Living Water Preschool Academy, which opened up during COVID and is growing, uh, reaching to refugee and some American children that are in uh, the, a Christian preschool hearing the word of God every day. We already have stories of little boys who've come with trauma and, doing, and acting in violent ways, completely being changed after a few weeks in the class and hearing God's word and the parents going, what is going on with our little son? <laughs> and it's just amazing to see how God is working through the Living Water Preschool Academy. So, let's dive into the word. But I, because I have an engineering background, I forgot to say, and project management background, I'm helping us as we fix up the campus, as we deal with all the fun county requirements and the traffic studies and arborist studies and archaeology studies and ADA studies and all these things we have to do and navigate. I'm able to use my technical background to help with that as well. So God knew. He knew my heart to reach out, to cross bridges, and to deliver the gospel. And he knew I want to put your technical background to good use and how you can read drawings and you know, get bids and negotiate with contractors. So he's placed me in a place that amazes me, how I'm able to use my different talents and backgrounds um, in one place for his glory. And I believe he wants to do the same thing for each one of you. Amen? Amen. So I want to get into the word with you. And I like to say, if these are just my words, if what I'm sharing with you is just my words, then, you know, take it or leave it. It's about as important as the next thing you'll scroll on your phone later this afternoon or whatever. But if this is God's word, then there's nothing more important. And opening our hearts to it and submitting our lives to it is critical. 
And I ask you, don't just believe things because I say it. Test it. Read it for yourself. Dive in. Research. We have more at our fingertips just on our phone now than the scholars of old could have ever dreamed to access. You have the tools that will dive into the scripture. Ask questions because it's a solid rock you can build on. And so I just want you to open your heart up to God's word in this time. So recently you guys have been hearing about Romans, right? Faith from Romans and how God uh, has called us to have a true saving faith. You have faith alone right here on the podium. I love it. We are saved by faith alone. And there is faith that's perhaps described in James that isn't true faith, right? It's faith that's not accompanied by anything, no, no fruit later. And he says, can such a faith save? So there could be counterfeit faith, something that maybe is called faith, but it's not true faith. I love how uh, I think Pastor Logan says something along the lines of, get out, you have to get out of the driver's seat. You have to allow God to drive, and that's truly a step of faith. Maybe you've been in the car with someone, and you're like, oh, I'm going to let them drive? Well, guess, trust me, you can let Jesus drive. You can get out of the driver's seat, and he used the term joyful obedience. I love that. We're called that joyful obedience as we follow God. And this good Samaritan parable is where the rubber really meets the road. What does it look like to have joyful obedience? What does it look like to follow this Jesus, to let him drive me? Where is he going to take me? What's it going to look like? Here we have a great example of what that faith looks like. And I would say that just as there are things called faith that isn't true saving faith, there are a lot of things called love that isn't true biblical, God-like love. And this parable wants to show us what true Biblical godlike love is how we can recognize it and receive it from God and apply it to our neighbor. I remember I taught about the Good Samaritan and I lived in Fresno in summer 2009, so just down the road from you guys. And I taught, we were in West Fresno doing a VBS for some kids there, and we did the Good Samaritan. And I just remember telling you, you know, we have to be loving and kind and help people that are in need. And most people, we recognize that. We should be loving and kind. I don't know if there's a single person in this world that would say, oh, no, we shouldn't be loving and kind. It's, it's ingrained in us that we know that's a good thing. But this parable is so much more than just saying, be nice and help people. I believe this parable shows us the heart of God, and it challenges, it's challenged me a lot. And so when I preach to you today, I'm preaching to myself too, because even as I was preparing this, I'm like, whew, God, <laughs> I need to rely on you to have this type of love. Don't think just because I work for a church or because I left my job to do full-time ministry, whatever that term means, you know, full-time, that I got it, that I'm there and it's like, hey guys, catch up to me. We're in this journey of saying, Lord, help us, (laughs) convict us, guide us, and I need that as much as all of you do. And so I just pray that we would all be convicted by God's word and have true God-like love. Amen? So we're going to jump in the first, let's look at those first verses. Before we jump into the parable itself, I think we can learn a lot from how Jesus deals with this lawyer who comes to him. The lawyer comes to him and says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, if you know your Bible, if you know about salvation, you can think of a lot of ways to answer that question, right? I've been evangelizing with people and they might ask something or out and I'm just, we just shut, and like, you can't, you can't inherit, you can't do anything to get it. You're wrong. Bad question. You know, just shut them down right there. Or you could just provide a quick answer. Just say, oh, you can't earn it. You just got to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And that's true. Amen. But Jesus doesn't just, he's not just answering the question that's asked. He sees the man's heart and he actually leads that man on a journey. He's willing to even ask him a question back. 
which is amazing. It's, it's a good leadership tool, actually. People that aren't even Christians will say, you want to ask people questions, get them talking, find out what they want, right? But Jesus, is, he knows this man's heart. So he asks him, he's a lawyer. You're a lawyer, you know God's law? That's not like all the lawyer jokes, like this guy was just in the legal system. He knew God's law. He probably had a lot of the Bible memorized, probably a lot more than we do. And he was claimed to be an expert. So Jesus asked him, how do you read it? He answers the question with the question, and he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That first part through the word mind is from the Shema, which I believe we've also talked about recently. The Shema was a prayer that the Jews would pray multiple times a day that said, behold, O Israel, God is one. And then a little bit later it'd say, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart your mind, your soul. And so this man gives a great answer. That's from Deuteronomy 6. And the second part, love your neighbor as yourself, is from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this man basically quotes scripture back to Jesus. This man had a great answer. You know, it's also interesting, even this guy was getting testy with Jesus, right? He wants to test him. He's kind of trying to jump in there and, and maybe poke a little at Jesus, find a hole in what Jesus believes. Jesus is comfortable and confident enough that he can say, what did he say? You have answered correctly. We live in a time that's so polarized and people are, you know, there's this side and then there's that side. And man, people are not happy with people on the other side. But, and unfortunately, sometimes though, it gets to a point where we can't even acknowledge someone that's right about something at all. If they support this party or this person or this thing, well, they're just, you write off everything that they say. They can't, can't be right. Or be, oh, this person, what can you do to inherit eternal life? Psh you're off, you're wrong. You don't know the Lord. I, you're wrong. Jesus wasn't afraid to even say, hey, you're, you're correct about that. It's okay to affirm and identify what people say that is actually true and right. If someone sees an injustice and says that's messed up, we as the people of God should be able to say, yeah, that is messed up. We shouldn't be afraid to affirm what is correct that someone believes, regardless of what label or title or judgment we place on them. But Jesus just doesn't stop there. He affirms him, but he also wants to get to the heart of the issue. So he, he leaves him. Do, do this and you will live. And so the man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So here, Jesus has gotten to the heart. He wasn't afraid to ask a question. He wasn't afraid to you know, even affirm something that he believed was right. But then he gets to the heart. Who is my neighbor? I love how Jesus approaches this. Sometimes I feel like in the spirit of getting in arguing or wanting to be right, we don't get to the heart of issues with people. Sometimes we just want to fight. We want to show that we're right and teach them a lesson. <laughs> I love how Jesus does this. I still haven't found the Bible verse that says, thou shalt rebuke thy neighbor at all times. That's not in my Bible. I do know that my Bible has 1 Peter 3.15, which says to always have an answer for the hope that is in you. But it says to do so with what? with gentleness and respect. So there's a way we address people. There's a way we talk to people, especially in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, right? We're in a world of social media, post, yeah, you know, own people and big statements that you have and I gotcha and memes. But when it comes to talking to people, you need to listen. You need to ask questions. You get to the heart of the issue that's going on. And then Jesus loves this man and leads him to the truth. Jesus might have been creative. He asked questions. He told stories. But he always led people to the truth. So I'm not saying, oh, you know, it's so creative, find all these creative ways to deal with people. 
God's love will show you, because his spirit will guide you, but he always leads people towards the truth. And so when, to answer the question, he tells him this parable. And so um, before we just jump in the parable, where we, get, we see the gospel in this. The man, it says he wanted to what? He wanted to justify himself. If you just go back to the last verse for a second. He wanted to justify himself. That was the heart. And this is the problem with our flesh. This is the problem with all the man-made religions is we're saying, how can we justify ourselves? The word is self-justification. How can we feel like we're right? How can we know that we're okay? How can we know that we're good enough? This man knew he didn't meet the qualifications perfectly. He didn't love God perfectly. He was afraid he probably didn't love his neighbor perfectly. But he hoped, you know, but hopefully I'm good enough. You know, hopefully um, there's a little wiggle room, maybe an exception for me. We love, most of us like to think that God is just. He's not just going to let evil slide. He's not going to, you know, just accept a bribe and let someone through the door while putting the hammer down on someone else. If you ask most people, they want a just God, maybe. But then they hope that God has an exception for them. This is our flesh. Our, we want to be self-justified. But where is justification found? In Jesus. Amen. In Christ and his work on the cross, he justified us by his blood, a price we couldn't pay. Self-justification, one of the reasons that's wrong is because it's impossible. We cannot justify ourselves before a holy and righteous God on our own. And this lawyer even wanted to justify himself. And I'm reminded, you don't just have to worry about self-justification when you believe in God the first time, when you accept the gospel, when you're born again. We have to live lives of Christians as not, not self-justifying Having confidence enough to say, God, I trust you. God, I'm, I'm not afraid of the truth. I'll confess my weaknesses. I'll admit when I mess up because I'm not trying to justify myself. My justification comes from Christ and him alone. Amen? We are not good people that can self-justify. We need a savior. That is the gospel. And so this man, as religious as he was, as much as he knew about the Bible, still was worried about justifying himself. And I pray if any of you in here are seeking to justify yourself before God, you have the, oh, I'm a good person. I hope I'll make it to heaven because I'm a good person. I know you hear this message from this pulpit, but I have to tell you, that's not how you can enter into heaven. You only enter the heaven through the, through, into heaven through the work of Jesus and his forgiveness. Justification comes from him alone. And so, finally, all that background, let's get into the parable. There's just so much I learned from Jesus, how he deals with people. Who is my neighbor? So we get into this background, this parable. There was a Jewish man. Jesus is Jewish, speaking to Jewish disciples. We can assume this parable is a Jewish man traveling between Jericho and Jerusalem, which isn't very far, especially in a car. But back then, with animals, it was a little farther. And he gets beaten up, and he gets left for dead on the road. I think that in the ESV, it says he's left half dead on the road. And then uh, the equivalent of a pastor and a lawyer passed by him, a priest who was a religious leader, and then a fellow Levite, a person who would have known the law. Kind of the, so the lawyer is a, you know, more than, he may have been a Levite. We don't know if the priests were all Levites. But a, a priest and a Levite, just like a guy probably similar to the lawyer, they see the man and they pass by. We don't know exactly what they think. We don't know exactly where they were going. But it's not hard to imagine because I have to admit, I've probably thought, thought the same things too. You see someone in a really rough situation and you think, you might think, why, he was traveling alone? Oh, that wasn't very smart. Why would he be so foolish to travel alone? Doesn't he know there are robbers around here? Maybe he thought, oh, I wish I could help, but I'm too busy. I could 
Got to get to a very important, I mean, I'm going to church, I'm too busy, I can't help. I've thought those things before. Or maybe he thought, oh, that person, oh, oh, that's probably why this happened to him. Maybe because of how he looked, who he was, I don't know. Could have judged him and thought, well, it's a bummer that he's in that spot. Maybe they did care for him in some way, but they didn't care enough. They see him and just move on their way. Then a Samaritan sees him also. You can go, yeah. So when I say Samaritan, almost anyone in our society will say, Good Samaritan, right? That's the word that comes up. It's, there's even good Samaritan laws. You might be familiar with that allow people to step in and help someone. But if you had said good Samaritan to a Jew of that time, they would have said, that's an oxymoron. Good Samaritan, yeah, right. Samaritans had a different theology than the Jews. They had built a separate temple north in Samaria. They worshiped different. They did different sacrifices. And any good Jew would see them as a cult, and for good reason. They had some funky things going on with what they believed. And so a Samaritan was not a person as a Jew you would look to as a role model. And there were actually a lot of extra laws and a lot of prejudice against Samaritans because of their false beliefs. Therefore, people made this whole, oh, this is how you have to treat Samaritans, keep them away, they are scoundrels, you don't trust them. And all these other things came that the Bible didn't necessarily say, but they built all this up because those are not good Samaritans. <laughs> They would have not seen Good Samaritan as a phrase that would be popular. They were not treated well. And again, they're not in Samaria. They're between Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem's here. Jericho's a little bit northeast. Samaria's way up north. So they're not in Samaritanville. They're not in Samaria. They're in Israel. And what is different? He sees the man just like the lawyer and the priest did. But what's different? It says he had compassion. He had compassion. And that word doesn't just mean like he loved him. This word is actually only used a handful of times in the New Testament. It's a 13-letter Greek word. It's a fun word. It's splachnihomai. No, splachnizomai. I still messed it up. I've been practicing all week to tell you, and I messed it up. Splachnizomai. That's a crazy word. Splachnizomai. What does it mean? It refers to when you look at someone and they're so helpless, you recognize that they're not going to have help unless you do something. It's a compassion that's not like, oh, that stinks, man. It moves you. When we say, oh, that moved me, this actually moves you. Not just you saying it. This moves you to action. It's used to describe God. It's used to describe God. It's used to describe Jesus. It says he looked at the crowds and he experienced splachnitzomai because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved to help them. In the parable of the prodigal son, the dad saw the son afar off and he had splachnitzomai. And he went to the son and he did something. He brought the son in. In the parable of the debtor that owes the, the man so much money he can never repay, it says the man had experienced the same splachnitzomai to this guy and forgives him of a debt he could never repay. He was helpless. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they use this word to describe what Pharaoh's daughter sees in Exodus 2 when Moses, baby Moses, is in the basket in the river. She saw the baby and she experienced this pity. A baby in a river where there's alligators by itself in a basket? Like, oh, I gotta do something. And she's moved to rescue him, to adopt him into her, her family. This splachnitzomai is used to describe God and what he feels for us. That we are helpless in our sin. We can't do anything about it. We can't save ourselves. And he comes and he saves us out of our place of sin, comes and saves us when we cannot save ourselves. And so this Samaritan, Jesus links him 
to feeling what God felt, and he does something about it. Let's go back into the text here. It says he went over to the man. He saw, and then he went to him. He bound up his wounds. This messy, pouring on oil and wine. It would have been his oil, his wine. Set him on his own animal. Now you think put him in his own car, was what we related to, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. This man moves and does something about his feeling. This compassion isn't just like, oh, I saw those people. That just stinks, man. Like, it's not just a, a, a little bit of pity. It's speaking of pity that is something that moves us to action. True love of God leads us into action. Experiencing his love leads us to share that love with others. Jesus at the end says, go and do likewise. Even though this love is something that's not natural to us, it's hard. We, we all like to think, oh yeah, I help people. But God's true love actually goes above and beyond what's normal, what's expected to serve other people. And that's the love that he expects us to have. It's a love that's costly. He used his own resources. And it's love that's risky. It would not have been unlike, the way Samaritans were treated by Jews was really poor. And he was in Israel. It would not have been unlike maybe 100 years ago, somewhere in the south, a man who's white, beat up and on the ground, and maybe a black man walking by and choosing to help him and take him into town for help. There's a, there's a risk there, putting this beat up man on your, in, in your vehicle or in your cart and take him into town. What would people think? This Samaritan wasn't afraid of the risk. He was willing because the love of God, this compassionate love from the Father, moved him to action. That's just fun to say, as you can tell, because I've said it like a hundred times. So this man goes into town with this man, and he says, go and do likewise. Go and be like the good Samaritan. But I don't want to miss the innkeeper. If you go to the next, the next, um, next slide, this man is moved to action. He helps, but he also gets help from somebody else. The innkeeper is kind of on his team. He goes to the innkeeper, says, here, help with this, gives him two days' wages, says, please take care of him. I'll be back, right? And he probably completed his journey. He went on. This is important for me because I'm the type of person I want to get in, I want to do everything, get so busy, I can do it myself. And God doesn't call any of us to do everything by ourselves. We're called to rely on a body. We're called to rely on one another. Even when it's hard and people don't do things the way you would do it, and you just, ah, I got better just do it myself. God has the Good Samaritan. Rely on the innkeeper. So we're going to be Good Samaritans. If we're going to be a true Good Samaritan, you have to find an innkeeper sometimes. You got to go into the task God has called you to with other people. And I love the innkeeper. He had a business. You know, he's running his inn. And he used his business. He was willing to help this man and accept by faith, okay, you're going to pay me more. It might cost me more to help this guy. But he is willing to use his business, his resources as well. So be an innkeeper too. We need good Samaritans and innkeepers working together. Amen? So we need each other. And that's at the Arab American Learning Center. We're a team. We're a team. I'm on staff with Pastor Raed, with his wife. We have a team of many volunteers from many churches and I just want to share a little bit about some of the experiences we get to have. We had a, a mom, a, well, a two women showed up in my office, um, and one had brought the other. One works with, like, the local, I don't know, I think it's a Muslim community or whatever, but brought this woman to us. Her husband had left her. She had teenage and young adult children who, this is near the beginning of the pandemic, were really isolated, really depressed. Not just because of COVID. They had left their home to come all the way to America, and then their dad left them for another woman. 
And so this mom is broken. Her one daughter especially is depressed, is, can't, doesn't even log into her online classes, doesn't want to do anything, and she's broken, and she's in her office saying, what can I do? You know, my children are suffering. I want to help them. My husband's gone. I don't know what to do. And it's one of those times where we're like, yikes. <laughs> and our team was able to love her, pray with her, but also be practical, get to work. We found her a charter school, simple one through actually someone my wife's cousins teach in, and we were able to set her up to take her daughter to the charter school. It started online, and she's like, I don't know if my daughter would even want to turn on her Zoom camera. She's really like in a dark place. And so we said, the charter school, that's okay. We'll start with just audio then. We'll do step by step until they were willing to meet. And I haven't had an update recently. This was a few years ago. But they were, she was in the school doing really well. And it was a really encouraging story of how one person was able to come a little bit out of the rough situation they were in. We have another man in our congregation now who came from Iraq. Um, his family had been killed through violence regarding ISIS. Um, ended up in our community, doesn't speak English, and was alone, lonely, uh, struggling to figure out America <laughs> in a low-income apartment, uh, missing payments on things, not catching mail. And someone invited him to one of our outreaches years ago. And he heard the verse Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, where Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened. And what does he promise? He says, I will give you rest. We're not talking about a good nap only. We're talking about rest for your soul, your hurried, aching, broken soul. And this man found rest in Christ, became a believer, is baptized, and he serves in our ministry. He brings coffee almost every week. He's a member of our church now. And God used our center and our outreach to share the message of Jesus, which he had never heard. He, the whiskey, the pills, the things he was experimenting with, relying on, didn't give him rest to his soul. But he called our pastor next day and said, wow, for the first night I slept well. I have peace in my soul. Like, I want to come back. And that is what we want. We want people to see, we're not just helping them just to help them. We want them to experience the love of God and the gospel of God so that they can find rest for their soul. Amen? And so we are called to do that. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy to people. Mercy, by definition, is undeserved, right? When God shows us mercy, it's not because we earned it. So sometimes we treat people, though, like they have to earn our mercy. They have to earn, before I can be loving to you, you need to be good enough. You have to believe this. You got to vote for this person. You got to whatever. Then I'll help you. Mercy, by definition, is undeserved, unearned. And so we are to show that mercy. I love a quote from my favorite rappers, KB. He says, if your neighbor looks like you, talks like you, acts like you, votes like you, then when you love your neighbor, you're really just loving yourself. Loving your neighbor means crossing that boundary. Jesus' example was a Samaritan loving a Jew. And everyone there would have understood, yikes, that's edgy. You're, and he's comparing, you would have, he would have, we would have told the story, the Jew is like God helping the poor Samaritan, but Jesus flips it. He's not afraid to do that. Because Jews and Samaritans are both made in God's image. And he wanted to get to the root of the issue is we have to be willing to have this love even for them. So who is my neighbor? That's the question I ask. And as I've talked, I think maybe people have come to mind in your mind. And I want to say, yes, that person too. <laughs> your neighbor that we're called to love. And so as I'm wrapping up here, I just want us to be encouraged that God's faithful love, his splachnitzomai, that moves us to action, is the same love that we need to be feeding off of. First, we remember that God gave it to us when we were helpless. Right? We're like the guy beat up on the side of the road. We didn't earn it. 
we weren't clean enough. The ER doesn't say, oh, oh, nope, you're bleeding too much. Can't come into the ER, sorry. No, that's what it's for. <laughs> come in with something hanging off your body. That's where you need to be in the ER, and that's what the church should be. That's what our community should be. Come as you are and receive the healing and the hope you need, but we should be not afraid to point people to truth. So I just want to leave you with, I always say an acronym at the end. I say HIT. I want every message to be a HIT or to HIT. H stands for hear. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear what I'm saying. Learn, meditate on God's word. I do hope you learn. I hope that you have good information. Truth gets into your soul that will start to work in your heart and that our beliefs would align more with God's word. The I, though, stands for implement. We're not just called to hear, as the Bible says, and then forget. We're called to do, to apply. In my life, that's looked like a lot of different things. In high school, God, when he reached my heart, um, I was really into hip-hop music, and I loved that. And as God worked in my heart, and I started hearing artists that honored God with their music, I realized, man, there's a lot of people that don't know the Lord in hip-hop culture. <laughs> a lot of people that need the Lord, and what a, what a way to share that with them. I got involved with writing and recording and producing and sharing hip-hop music at the time um, and to this day. And I've been able to use that as a tool. In college at Cal Poly, a friend invited me to coffee. said, you know there's a group of people on campus that don't hear the gospel or don't really have access? I said, yeah, right, and slow? It's like there's like a church on every corner here. He said, yeah, the Greek community. Thousands of students not looking for a place to hang out. They have a place to hang out. And through meeting this person, and I ended up joining a fraternity, Sigma Nu, and trying and starting a Bible study, and it was just, that's a whole long story for another time, but God called me into that place. I'm not here to tell you you have to reach the Muslim refugees, maybe, maybe you'll come up and join us sometime, but I am here to say that God will put something on your heart, a place where there's a need, a place, for me, I have a gift of evangelism, it's always been like, where's the unreached, where are the people I want to go to that I can share with, but for you, it might be something different, so the T is tell, hear, implement, tell, tell someone about this. People, when they encountered Jesus and his word, they couldn't help it. They got the I can't help it. And they went out and they started telling other people. Think about someone you could share this with. So I've kind of run out of time here. I just want to put up on the screen ways to get involved at our church. Um, you guys have got involved, so I don't need to say get involved. You already do. But I, you, I'm going to be in the foyer after. You guys can come up to me, sign up with your email to receive your email updates. I send some personal ones with my family, and then our ministry sends some general ones. We do a lot of campus care, all the projects we have to do. We're having to build a wall and do some demolition and some things. So we have a lot of work. If you guys want to come up for a work day, we'll put you to work and we'll work together. You can work alongside people in our community. There's financial giving. Your church gives to us. So you do know when you tithe to your church, that helps support our ministry. And we are very grateful for that. There are always ways to get involved financially. And I encourage you, if you're not already giving, give to your church. Because it, it goes and it makes a big impact. And there's ways to get involved with that. And then we do monthly outreaches as well, which I'd happy to share more about where we preach the gospel to the community in, in creative ways. So I just want to pray for us. I just want to pray for each of us in this time as we wrap up. And I pray. I'll just pray. <laughs> Dear God, thank you. Thank you for Cornerstone Community Church here, Lord God. I thank you how you have called each person here for a time as this. Not to sit in a chair and just listen. But as I said earlier, to be your hands and feet. As they go through their life, as they're looking at things online, I pray they would experience your love, that that would come into their soul and say, wow, that is horrible. Oh, wow, that person has that need. Wow, that's going on. 
What can I do? How can I get involved? How can I go to them? Lord, you've called us to be your ambassadors, representatives in this world, and I know you have ambassadors here sitting in the pews that are called to love their community with your love. I just pray, Jesus' mighty name, that your Holy Spirit would fill them and overflow to be your hands and feet in the community so they wouldn't just have what's called love, but they'd have a true God-like love that would radically change not just them, but their family and their community. Oh, Lord, I desire that for this community. I know that's what your calling is over our lives. So I pray these things in the holy and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.